Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, August 10th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. We'll have a reality check on President Trump's executive orders, plus the struggle to keep high school sports alive. But first, today's one big thing is how indoor air is the next front line of the coronavirus. There's growing evidence that coronavirus-contaminated particles can hang in the air, possibly for hours. And as more schools and businesses attempt to reopen, protecting the air in indoor spaces is becoming front and center in the fight to control COVID-19. Brian Walsh has been reporting on this, and he's joining us now. Do you think that people understand the risks of indoor air? I think people actually do have a sort of instinctual understanding of the risks of indoor air. For one thing, even in states where you've begun to open up indoor restaurants, I've noticed that you haven't really seen people go and take advantage of that. And I think that sort of underscores the fact that people are a little concerned about this, and they should be. And in some ways, common sense was a little ahead of science on this one. And so what are researchers saying about airborne particles of the coronavirus? Obviously, we knew that coughing or sneezing directly on someone or near them could spread the virus. But what we're discovering is that actually this virus can kind of hang in the air on really tiny droplets of fluid. And there's been research in hospital rooms of COVID-19 patients that shows the air in those rooms actually seems to have COVID-19 virus even hours after anyone would have been there, which really creates a whole new challenge when it comes to preventing transmission of the coronavirus. That's alarming. What is the bad news for this when it comes to thinking about ventilation of businesses, schools, buildings all across the U.S.? The bad news for this is that indoor spaces are a lot more infectious, perhaps, than we would have thought a couple of months ago. So it's not just a matter of cleaning up surfaces with disinfectant or Clorox wipes, but really need to think about the air itself as well as anything else. Now, the problem, of course, is that with schools in particular, Something like half the school districts in America need updated HVAC systems. Is there good news in this, Brian? There is some good news here in that we actually do have means to control virus in indoor air. First off, you can simply open a window. Sounds very basic, but it's actually really effective in terms of getting any kind of virally contaminated air out of a building, which is obviously really important. So Japan has been very effective in preventing transmission of the coronavirus, and that's despite the fact that It is an extremely densely populated country. I mean, the Tokyo subway system is highly packed, highly busy, and yet hasn't spread the virus. And one of the things they have put in place with that is they've simply opened the windows of the trains, and that helps keep air moving in and out of the trains. But there's other things you can do. HEPA air filters are actually very effective at filtering out virus particles. That can be very effective as well. At the start of this pandemic, everyone was wiping down packages and surfaces. And while that's not a bad thing... I wonder if people are focusing on the right things at this moment. Yes, surfaces do matter. I mean, you do want to keep you know, wiping things down. But at the same time, the air is extremely important, too. And I think almost certainly that this virus would not be anywhere near as transmissible if it were not capable of being transmitted via the air. But sadly, we have to kind of face facts here. And if we want to return to anything like normal life before we get a really effective vaccine, this is the frontier where we have to tackle. Brian Walsh writes the future newsletter for Axios. We'll be back in 15 seconds with a reality check on whether this weekend's presidential orders will help the people who need it the most.
Welcome back to Axios Today. It's a busy Monday morning after a weekend where President Trump issued a series of executive orders, he says, because of Congress's inaction over the new stimulus plan. Axios co-founder Mike Allen is here to give us some details and context. Good morning, Mike. Happy Monday, Nyla. Mike, let's just start with what the president did. On Saturday, he signed four executive orders addressing evictions, student loan payment deferral, a payroll tax holiday, and the most important for a lot of people right now, renewed unemployment benefits. So I wonder if you can peel back some of the layers here and tell us if this is really a replacement for a congressional stimulus package. No. How's that for smart brevity? (laughs) That is very good. So no, and in what way? So this is another sign of how warped D.C. has gotten. The White House and Democrats couldn't make a deal, so Trump announces his own deal with himself, uh, saying that he'll extend that unemployment benefit that went away August 1st. But there are lots of catches. For one thing, this probably will be taken to court. Only three quarters of it would be paid for by the government. And there's one unemployment expert who told the Washington Post that this involves creating a whole new program. The point is, this cannot happen quickly. And if you're one of those people who's depending on that benefit, that's the one word that matters. Right. And where is Congress in all of this, Mike? So congressional leaders say this isn't workable. They say it's too weak. They say that they still want to make a real deal. And the White House has said that they might negotiate. Joe Biden calls it half-baked. Conservatives are very skeptical. Republican Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska calls it constitutional slop. Wow. Also, I wonder if we can just talk about the setting in which President Trump delivered this news, Mike? This was the oddest news conference ever. So the president did these back to back. He's at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. And a little perk for members who are there is they get to come in and watch a presidential signing ceremony. So these are people, they're in their cleats. And some of them had glasses of wine and they became a rooting section for him. And they were kind of heckling the press. Mike Allen is Axios's co-founder. Mike, thanks for bringing us that analysis. Nyla, have the best week. There's a lot of talk right now about how professional sports like the MLB aren't functioning properly because of the coronavirus. But what about high school sports? Kendall Baker is the sports editor here at Axios. For me, as a former athlete, as a sports reporter, the conversation around high school is such a much more pure conversation right now. High school sports, in many cases, are a developmental tool. You think about literally just exercise, mental health. Many times that's when they hang out with their friends. That's what motivates them. That's what's interesting to me when it comes to this conversation around high school is that we're going back to the roots of why do people play sports in the first place? What kind of positive impact can sports have on on kids? And what is that conversation, Kendall? Because there are state high school sports associations. Are they regulating what's happening here? There's a ton of different organizations that are making these decisions. And 
really, if you look at it across the board, that's why it's such a disorganized process. And in the example of California, they've basically just pushed everything back. I think the earliest that fall sports would happen would be December. And obviously, in that case, fall sports are now basically winter sports. One result of that is now going to be overlapping between sports that never used to be the case. So you have multi-sport athletes who play football and basketball. You might have to choose between those. So that's going to create some difficult decisions for athletes. But I think at the end of the day, giving them at least an opportunity to play versus canceling a sport altogether is obviously a preferable option. The big picture here is many high school athletes depend on sports for physical and mental well-being. That's why states are working so hard to figure it out. Kendall Baker is the sports editor for Axios. That does it for us today. You can reach your team at podcasts at axios.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. And we'd also love it if you'd share the show with someone you think might appreciate it. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.